0: Hey, this is Joseph Thompson. Thanks for listening to the Open Spaces podcast. Why don't you sit back, relax, and join me as we take a journey together into wide open spaces. Well, welcome to season four of the Open Spaces podcast. I'm so grateful that you have chosen to stick with us for four seasons. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Hopefully you'll find something useful uh, to help with your journey through life. And um, I just have been thinking a lot lately about something. I I tend to do that from time to time, uh, think that is. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about this whole concept of love because we often use that... um, word rather loosely and casually i love ice cream i love my dog i love my wife i love my shoes i love rain i love cool weather i love the beach i mean we we use that same word and really when we use it we don't actually think too much about its application and what we're actually saying and uh, in some ways hollywood has whether intentionally or otherwise convinced our world that the heart is the center of this overwhelming emotion that has come to be described as love. But what, more often than not, is actually a misguided and unchecked emotion masquerading as love? You see, the heart is so much more than a center for warm, fuzzy feelings that we describe as love. In fact, we're given fair warning in the book of Jeremiah concerning the heart. And the prophet says this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The scriptures also boldly declare in the book of Proverbs and chapter 23 uh, regarding uh, the heart of the miser. And it says, do not eat the bread of a miser nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he, eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you, so clearly, there's this concept, this understanding from the scriptures, that the heart is beyond this center for warm, fuzzy feelings, the heart, actually, let me describe it this way, the, the Christian theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's famously known for his view on the Christian's role in a secular world, says this, the heart in the biblical sense, is not the inner life, but the whole man in relation to God. But as a man lives just as much from outwards to inwards as from inwards to outwards, the view that his essential nature can be understood only from his intimate spiritual background is wholly erroneous. In other words, what Bonhoeffer is saying here is that what we express in our actions is actually a reflection of what's inside us, and what's inside of us is often reflected by what we do. Yeah, sort of a conundrum, isn't it? It's a chicken and egg, which came first. But more often than not, the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves often masks this reality of of, of this consistent conflict and tension between what we do and what's going on inside of us. And the reality is the scripture is replete with examples of of men, godly men, uh, presumably, who have reflected this same conflict and tension that we battle and struggle with in regard to the understanding of the heart. In fact, a potent example of this truth of what I would call self-delusion is clearly seen in the story of Peter told in the book of Mark. In verse 27, the Bible says, Jesus told them, verse 27 of Mark chapter 49, I I beg your pardon. Jesus told them, you're all going to feel that your world is falling apart and that it's my fault. There's a scripture that says, I will strike the shepherd, the sheep will go helter-skelter. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you, leading the way to Galilee. Peter blurted out, Even if everyone else is ashamed of you when things fall to pieces, I won't be. Jesus said, don't be so sure. Today, this very night in fact, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He blustered in protest, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. So get this. Here's Jesus, God in the flesh, bringing Peter face to face with a truth about his life. Yet Peter is unable to accept that truth. Why? It's simple. It's because what Jesus says doesn't match up with the image that Peter has of himself. You see, we constantly tell ourselves stories about ourselves that we want to be true but aren't necessarily true and everybody else around us can see that we're the only ones blinded to that truth or that reality we tell ourselves stories and when we hear things that people say that don't actually match up with the view or perspective that we have of ourselves we reject that truth but the story goes on further down in verse 66 of mark 14. This is Jesus has been captured and taken to trial. While all this was going on, Peter was down in the courtyard. One of the chief priest's servant girls came in, and seeing Peter warming himself there, looked hard at him and said, You were with the Nazarene Jesus. He denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. He went out on the porch. A rooster crowed. The girl spotted him and began telling the people standing around, he's one of them. He denied it again. After a little while, the bystanders brought it up again. You've got to be one of them. You've got Galilean written all over you. Now Peter got really nervous and swore, I never laid eyes on this man you're talking about. Just then, The rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said, before a rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. He collapsed in tears. You see, like us, it is only when he's brought to the place where he's able to reflect upon what he's already done that he's able to see and acknowledge the truth that he so vehemently denied even when Jesus spoke it to him. It's so with us. Because we tell ourselves stories about ourselves that we want to be true, we often deny what is actually true. And when it comes to loving God, and loving people, our actions have to speak volumes louder than the words that we profess. So, while what drives us is never really easy to see, the truth is it isn't hidden deep within us. It's quite often hidden in plain sight. So you might ask, what drove Peter that was ultimately exposed? What was hidden in plain sight that was ultimately exposed by Jesus' statement? Well, the good thing is I won't leave you hanging uh, regarding the answer to that. It's pretty straightforward. Peter was driven by the need for significance. You see, a cursory dive into Peter's story will expose the glaring need to be seen as the stalwart rock that Jesus had dubbed him as earlier when he was still assembling all his disciples. And, and Peter obviously felt this need to express the significance of that acknowledgement and live up to that even when things inside of him were in turmoil and conflict and so when jesus told him you are going to do this because of the conflict and turmoil going on inside of you to appear to be this stalwart he says if all the other guys deny you i won't i'll in fact die well we know how that worked out In fact, the logic behind what drives us being hidden in plain sight is pretty well expressed in in this story that I read recently about a man who crosses a border regularly with a wheelbarrow full of junk. The story sort of goes like this, that the border guards at some point were tipped off that the man was smuggling items across the border. So following the tip, each time the man passed the border checkpoint... They stopped him and searched him thoroughly, and they sifted through all the junk in the wheelbarrow, but somehow they were never able to find anything of interest that would raise alarm bells. But years later, after he'd stopped making these border crossings, one of the guards ran into him in a bar and confronted him, saying, We know you were smuggling something all those years ago. Tell me, what was it? The man, smiling, turns to him and says, Why, I was smuggling wheelbarrows, of course. (laughs) You get it? The truth of who we are is all too often hidden in plain sight. But while the evidence is right in front of us, it requires great skill and dedication to decode it. The wheelbarrows were what he was smuggling across the border, not the junk, but the focus and attention was so heavily placed and emphasized on the junk and on what his person on his body was carrying, that they never knew that it was all about the wheelbarrow. And this is why, friends, we need spiritual disciplines, because it is these spiritual disciplines that help us decode what is right in front of us. Had Peter had the spiritual discipline to understand What Jesus was saying, rather than with bluster and gusto declare, I will never deny you, he would have said, Lord, I need you to pray for me so that I can stand strong. So here, here are some of the spiritual disciplines that we need. We need prayer without a doubt. And prayer is not just petition, asking God for stuff. Prayer is aligning your heart with the heart of God so that in the seasons and moments of pain and difficulty, you can stand strong. We need reflection. In this context, reflection is reviewing decisions and choices we've made in the past and where they've led us. Because as we review the past, hopefully it helps us shape the future for better choices because we learn from the mistakes of the past. So, reflection is, a consistent reflection is important. We need study. We need study of the scriptures because you shall know the truth, the Bible says, and the truth that you know will set you free. We need to journal. And here's what I mean when I say journal. As we walk through life and experience different things, as life throws its curveballs, we need to write down in those seasons what we were feeling, what we were experiencing, what we were thinking. Because the human memory is so well designed to placate the brain so that the further removed we are from an event, no matter how traumatic or painful, the less we feel or remember the emotions and thoughts that we experienced in that moment. So when we journal in that moment and we revisit what we've written, we're able to actually re-enter into those feelings or at least engage and understand the depth of emotion that we felt in the midst of that trauma. And finally, the other spiritual discipline that we need is wise counsel. We always need to surround ourselves with people who have lived through our season of life successfully so that they can invest in us what they've learned for good or for bad, for better or for worse. So instead of looking within to find out what really drives a person, we must look very carefully at the surface itself, decoding what is given and paying heed to the subtle clues that make manifest a person's real desire. Because our practices seldom fall short of our beliefs. In fact, I would venture to say they never fall short of our beliefs. Our practices are our beliefs, in spite of what we may say to the contrary. You see, because it is not the word of the captain, I've said this many times, that tells me where the ship is coming from. It is the wake of the ship. It is not the pilot's word that determines or Convinces me the direction from which his plane is coming. It is the contrails of the plane. So, our practices are our beliefs, no matter what we say to the contrary. And Paul articulates this quite masterfully in the book of Romans. Here's how he says it So, my friends, this is something like what has taken place with you. When Christ died, he took that entire rule dominated way of life down with him and left it in the tomb leaving you free to marry a resurrection life and bear offspring of faith for God. For as long as we lived that old way of life, doing whatever we felt we could get away with, sin was calling most of the shots as the old law code hemmed us in. And this made us all the more rebellious. In the end, all we had to show for it was miscarriages and stillbirths. But now that we're no longer shackled to that domineering mate of sin and out from under all those oppressive regulations and fine print, we're free to live a new life in the freedom of God. But I can hear you say, if the law code was as bad as all that, it's no better than sin itself. Well, that's certainly not true. The law code had a perfectly legitimate function. Without its clear guidelines for right and wrong, moral behavior would be mostly guesswork. Apart from the succinct surgical command, you shall not covet, I could have dressed covetousness up to look like a virtue and ruined my life with it. This is such a beautiful recognition of truth. You see, it's 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 all on the surface. It's acknowledging and recognizing that we tell ourselves stories about ourselves that we want to be true but aren't necessarily true. And the 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 the, the scriptures, prayer, reflection, all of these things serve to guide us. They help us understand this as Paul calls it, the surgical command, whether it's you shall not covet, you you shouldn't be prideful, you should love others, because we all have the skill of being able to dress up anything we want to look like a virtue. So here's how Paul goes on to say it. The very command that was supposed to guide me into life was cleverly used to trip me up, throwing me headlong. So sin was plenty alive, and I was stone dead. But the law code itself is God's good and common sense. Each command, sane and holy counsel. I can already hear your next question. Does that mean I can't even trust what is good? That is the law. Is good just as dangerous as evil? No, again. Sin simply did what sin is so famous for doing, using the good as a cover to tempt me to do what would finally destroy me. By hiding within God's good commandment, sin did far more mischief than it could ever have accomplished on its own. So guys, what's the takeaway or the action point from all of this? It's pretty simple. Find out who you really are. Acknowledge who you really are. Instead of pretending and letting the veneer that's on the outside, the shiny veneer, that makes you look so much different than you actually are because of the face that you're trying to present to the world. So you might ask, how do I do that? I would suggest a long look in the mirror of your life so that you can honestly evaluate what drives you. Is it a quest for significance like it was for Peter? Is it the need to be accepted? Or is it simply the need to have people believe that you are so much more than who they think you are? Whatever your motivation, remember that this world needs you, but it needs you to be who God created you to be, and not some version of yourself created by culture, creed, and circumstance. So I sure hope that as you look in the mirror of your life and you declare, I love you with my whole heart, you have understood the sacrifice attendant those words. Have a fantastic rest of your week, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us on the Open Spaces podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please like it and share it with your friends. We'd really love to connect with you, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Open Spaces podcast.